How are we going, mates? Welcome back to the Top Step Podcast. My name is Ryan Roland-Smith. We have a ton of Mariner fans, Mariner listeners out there. So this is a Mariner's Monday. This episode, I started it last week. Every Monday, we do a weekly recap, uh, what to expect coming up, uh, my top performers, and just a couple breakdowns of things I, I saw, especially over the weekend. A lot of fun. We have Jeff Levering joining us. He is the play-by-play announcer for the Milwaukee Brewers. He's going to give us what to expect from the Brewers? I think it's going to be a tougher matchup, obviously, than, than what we saw from the Colorado Rockies. Also, Jesse Winker, he's coming back. We've got all that to get to. Uh, before we get into it, though, make sure if you're new to this, uh, if you just picked up on the, on the Top Step podcast, make sure you go subscribe. So I'm doing this Mariners uh, weekly recap, uh, and then we have our regular show with uh, MLB All-Star and one of my best mates on the planet, Grant Balfour. A lot of fun. We have... Yeah, we tell stories, we we, you know, we we mess around, but we get into some good baseball topics. That's later on in the week. Uh, so let's get into it. But before we do, make sure you go subscribe, tell your mates. All right, guys, let's dive in. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. On the breaking ball, he struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. This is Grant Balfour being Grant Balfour. Yeah. He, he is, as you mentioned, Jim, he's amped up. He talks a lot. In fact, he has the demeanor of a guy that wants to fight you. You'll never say that I'm not killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. Kill, kill. All right, so first of all, before we get into the weekend and top performers and some of the good stuff we've been seeing, we do have to go back to that Cubs series. Look, I started this last Monday, and it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, it was a shocker of a game on Tuesday. And it was funny, man, I reached out on social media at hyphen18. Um, I reached out and said, hey, look, you know, what are some things you want me to cover on the Mariners, uh, yeah, the Mariner Mondays? And, yeah, you know, I got some, man, that was right around that Cubs series. They lost in extra innings. Then they got, then they dropped that massive lead. Chris Flexen, who's pitching tonight against the Brewers, uh, and they got swept. They had Luis Castillo the last night of that series, and, and they got swept. Then they go into Seattle, coming back home. They hadn't, in my opinion, really performed uh, in that home opening series. And you're starting to, all the little doubts start to seep in with all these expectations. But man, huge sweep. I said that before the series against the Colorado Rockies. That was a team you've got to take two or three because they've got so many holes that the Mariners can absolutely exploit. And they did. I was calling the game on Saturday night. And you can just see the contrast, man. I, I want to dive into this bef before we get into the Mariners. Let's talk about the Rockies for a second. So we've heard... You know, and we talk a ton about the Mariners and the and the the rebuild and the philosophies and 2018 when Jerry Depoto, you know, said didn't I'm not going to say pull the pin, but he basically went to the ownership group and kind of gave him a couple different scenarios of how this is going to go in the next couple of years. And John Stanton's like, look, you know, your plan A where you would basically sell off some of these aging players or trade them off um, to get some young prospects and just press the reset button. I don't want to say rebuild. And they did it, and it worked out. It's not easy. A lot of teams try and do it, and they take years and years and years, or it never happens. Well, the Colorado Rockies, I look at the Rockies and the Mariners very sort of parallel with the fact that they're a mid-market team. Um, they've sort of had this this kind of, you know, throughout the years, this some success, and they've struggled success, uh, struggled. Mind you, they've been to the World Series. The Mariners have not. But the, Mar the, uh, the Rockies do not use the word rebuild they will not do it man that's something that's very publicly like we will not rebuild we just keep adding on adding on and what i saw in that weekend series 
watching some of these players. I love the fact that, you know, they go out and spend, do a seven-year deal for Chris Bryant. I love the fact that teams do that. But, man, what a stark contrast. When you go back the last couple of years of where the Mariners are, because they did do the rebuild. I hate to say it. I hate rebuilds too, by the way. I think if Major League Baseball could come up with some sort of system where we wouldn't see these teams just shutting down, I think they are sort of making some changes. Um, compared to the Rockies, they're kind of in limbo. Like, where are they going? What are they doing? I, I was just trying to like do some digging around and trying to figure out what exactly is their philosophy. They don't want to rebuild, right? But yet they'll give up a Nolan Arenado. They'll let John Gray walk. Some of these these stars, these guys have had success in Colorado, especially pitching. Yet they, you know, that Trevor Story, they could have traded him. They didn't. He left. They didn't get anything for him. Um, and when they were out of the race, when Trevor Story was there, uh, not last year, the year prior to that. So it's just interesting um, watching that. So i got to say, man, we are very lucky here in Seattle. The fact that we do have a nice thing, a nice young core of players. I hate to compare them to the Houston Astros, but the Astros, I know they've had such a run. But you look at the way they draft and develop players. I am sick of seeing dudes come up like Jeremy Pena or uh, Kyle Tucker or some of these guys who come up just out of nowhere. Boom, here they are. Another big prospect the Astros have drafted and they've developed. Mariners are doing such a better job. The Rockies farm system, I don't get it. So, again, you th- I'm not saying be grateful, but I'm just saying it, it, we're in a good spot. Just it, comparing the two teams and watching them go about things. So, let's talk about um, before the Rockies series, okay? Come into that and all right. So let's talk about the weekend. First of all, Tommy Malone on Friday night. You got to, <laughs> I said this on the post game radio show. Hey, by the way, I am co hosting uh, this afternoon, 2 to 5 30 with Dave Wyman. I'm filling in on the radio side. But Tommy Malone on Friday night. Okay. Got to, I'm going to put you in his shoes for a second. Okay. You look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, what do you throw? Four and two thirds or something like that. Oh, it's not like he just came out seven shutout, but put yourself in his shoes, man. I've been there. He's got a ton of, he's got a ton of established major league service time. He was a dude with the Minnesota Twins and he's bounced around. He's always been a serviceable guy. Signs back with the Mariners. And now all of a sudden, He's in AAA. He kind of knows his role because, remember, they've got these young guys they're so high on, uh, these young pitchers, that, and they've seen it the last couple of years. He's been in the organization before. And he comes up, and the only sort of you know gap he's going to fill is depth or to, to fill it up for an injury or paternity list. So he comes up in that situation. And when you get told, listen, you are going to go up, you're going to pitch, then you're going to go right back to Round Rock, wherever you, you were coming from. AAA is no joke, man. It is tough, especially when you're a little bit older, like Tommy Malone. He's been around forever, especially when you throw out 86, 88, right? So he comes up. you got to remember something. You are not – and he's – I don't know if he's gone through the waiver process today or the last couple of days, whatever. But you are on display for 30 other for thirty teams. You have that opportunity. You go up. All of a sudden, your, your, your status changes because you're on the roster. You go back to AAA. You want to, you want to perform. It, it is a – nerve-wracking game because this is your one open door to get a chance to pitch in the big leagues and have some success. And he was really good, man. He was really good. I I just think that when you get thrust in those situations and you can perform or at least get into the – what do you get in the fifth or sixth inning, man? It was so good to see. And so I'm going to give a shout-out to him. Um, Also, you know, a couple other guys too who – you know, you, we tend to forget, like, first of all, Ty France is absolutely 
breaking. It is nuts. He gets a ball. I think he got a ball off the elbow. Then he got a ball at his head. Then he ends up drawing a walk. All the little things. I know he's raking, but all the little things he does, he is so consistent of just being a dude who will not back away from his approach, will not change at bats. If guys are starting to pitch him in, nothing changes. I love watching him do his thing. Also, I did the game. I was in the booth on Saturday night, and I appreciate everyone's feedback. Some nice things. Um, I love doing color. I got the World Baseball Classic. That's what I want to do. I want to do uh, be a color analyst. And so I got a chance uh, Saturday night and got to watch George Kirby. I spoke to Pete Woodworth before the game, the Mariners pitching coach. And he was just talking about, hey, this is a perfect matchup for George Kirby um, because he – one, he's getting a feel for those breaking balls. The Rockies are going to chase a bunch. But I will say this, man. I love watching George Kirby pitch. He was not sharp on Saturday night. I know you think I'm crazy if you're listening. What are you talking about? He was in the middle of the plate. And I kept flashing up on StatCast during the broadcast to say, <clears throat> look how much he's in the middle of the plate. Now, I'm going two ways with this, by the way. He kept going back to that fastball with two strikes up in the strike zone. Okay, He kept missing a ton. He wasn't going big chase pitch. And like I said, no one chases more than the Rockies outside the strike zone, especially when you got like guys like CJ Crone and some of that, those younger guys down the bottom of the lineup. But he was in the middle right, of the plate. And I'm like, he could see the frustration. I didn't want to say too much during the game. Uh, I was hammering on it, but I didn't want to keep harping on it because I guarantee you people listen is like, hey, bro, we're winning the game. We're smashing them. Chill out a little bit. But I will say this. He, the fact that you can do that, the fact that you can be in the middle of the plate, and still pitch the way he did and still work through it. That speaks volumes, mate. I'm telling you, you, any mediocre pitcher in the big leagues, if they're in the middle of the plate as much as George Kirby was, they're, getting, they're, they're, they're going maybe into the fifth and there's a three spot somewhere. Not the case with George Kirby, man. He was brilliant on Saturday night, but he was in the middle. And again, with that, I guarantee you, he's for the next couple of days after that, he's like, I want to get back on the mound and figure out what it is to get that two seam on this side of the plate, that four seam up in the strike zone consistently and get that breaking ball cranking. So, um, yeah, it, it was interesting um, watching that. And, uh, but <laughs> I've got to say, man, that's how good that dude is because he was just on the money. All right, listen. Before I get, I'm going to get to the top performers after we talk to Jeff Levering, um, the play-by-play announcer of the Milwaukee Brewers. He's on the line right now, so we're going to flick over, get a preview um, of the uh, of the Brewers series, what to expect. It's going to be tougher, I can tell you that, than what we saw against Colorado. Way better bullpen. We're going to get his thoughts uh, right now. I'm going to flick over to him, and then after that, we'll get to the top performers and some other stuff right after that. All right, let's go. Let's go get with Jeff. Jeff Levering, mate, how are you doing? Man, I'm great, Rolly. It's so good to see you, man. It's been a while. It has. I was excited. You know, you jumped on the screen and I, um, I perked up, man. It was brings back a lot of good memories. Now, just to give people an idea, a bit of a background, how you and I know each other. Um, this is not something where I reached out. Oh yeah, the play-by-play guy for the uh, the Brewers jump on. No, no, no. We, we go way back, dude. And uh, the Portucket Red Sox. That's where, that's where it all began for you and me um, with, with uh, knowing each other. But 2013, what are, what are they called now? They're not, the, they're not in Portucket anymore, right? No, I think they're in Worcester. Worcester, Mass. They're the okay. Woo Sox. Gotcha. Okay. It just doesn't roll off the tongue like it the Paw Sox does. It huh? doesn't. I don't know if, you, if you're in on this, but we're trying to uh, – me and some of the guys in the team, we're trying to change – but just being idiots, we're trying to call them the Rhode Island mini, uh, Rhode Island mini socks. You remember who we were coming? Yeah, oh god, yeah, the mini socks. Yeah, <laughs> mini that was socks. the best. Because it's for the cup, 
you were going for the cup. That's it. That that's right. The the eye cup. That's right. The, 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 that's right. The reason. Oh man, and and you brought up a name right before I click record. Brock Holt. I want to get into him in a second because he's doing something today which is pretty wild, man. I I didn't know what was going on with him uh, today, but um, because we had some some fan up there we're walking past we may have been on the road i can't remember where it was but like oh they're like they're like the mini red socks they're, they're the mini socks and we're like oh yeah. my god just put our heads down like, like we're a bunch of 13 year olds like now we we're grown a, men yeah we had a pretty salty like vet team that year we too did. It was, we didn't have a bunch a good of team. young kids yeah we had a handful of young kids on that like xander bogarts was coming through and whatnot but uh it was mostly kind of guys that were finding their footing in the, in the Red Sox team that year, of course they, they won the world series. So yeah. they had, they needed some filler guys, but that, that was a, gosh, that was a fun team. We had a lot so of good fun. times, man. Dude, listen, man, I went from, you know, 2010, I was my last year with the big leagues up until that point, And I was trying to scratch and claw to get back to the big leagues. And I was like, having to go to these, I went to the, I signed with the Cubs. I was with the Astros, just miserable. And now I signed, now I was in triple A with the Red Sox, man. I had, I had so much fun. It was so good. But one guy on that team, uh, Brock Holt. Now you brought this up, and I, I didn't realize this, man. He's by the way, he great dude. Played for a lot of different teams. All star with the Red Sox. But um, you said he's what's he doing today? What's going on? He's running in the Boston Marathon today. So nice. he got really involved in the Jimmy Fund when he was in Boston, and you know he, that just speaks to him and his wife Lakin and his family and, and what means what is important to them, right? And they want to give back and. Uh, he's been doing this for, I don't know, 10 years or so, just just really getting involved with Jimmy Fund. And they started this charity called Holting Off Cancer, uh, helping with childhood cancer. And they've been selling you know merchandise and stuff to try and raise money for the childhood cancer charity. So I'm wearing the sweatshirt today, you know, oh, Holt Off awesome. Cancer. And, um, you know, and I, I got reunited with Brock because he was a he was a brewer in 2020. So we had that kind of meshed into mesh into our relationship he claims that i named my son after him because our son was born in 2014 we named him brock and he's like you know you named your kid after me right <laughs> and i went oh of course yeah totally i did get the idea from his name but that's not why we it's a pretty good role model but no he is running in the boston marathon as we speak he might even still that's be on wild. the course yeah he's doing great and it's all for for his charity and you think oh yeah he's running for his charity this is on a 5k dude i mean marathons yeah. are no joke yeah, no, and he's got some bad calves. I mean, really good calves in terms of the strength, but <laughs> but I think they cramp up on him a little bit. So I'm curious to see as he was going through this training, uh, following on Instagram and of course supporting the charity. Um, I was curious to see how he was going to do with the whole training part of it. He was go for like five miles and then six and ramp up, and then he goes back. Ah, my calf blew out. I got to take a week off. And I'm I, I'm really curious to see how he does today. When he uh, announced his retirement, I was like, straight away, I thought for sure he's going to show up on TV somewhere. He, he's doing some stuff with Nesson, right? Is he? I, I think I occasionally. That. Yeah, occasionally. I think occasionally he's doing some stuff on Nesson. I also think that I feel like this, uh, the Foul t- uh, Territory podcast oh, is yeah. going on, which is essentially all former brewers now with Eric Kratz and Lorenzo Cain's jumping on. I saw that. And I think Brock Holt's doing some stuff with them too and AJ Pierzynski. So, uh, he's he is prime for the media. He's sure. so good. We mic'd him up in a spring training game once because everything shut down in 2020, and we we decided to mic up a player for the Brewers like exhibition games that they were playing against each other, called them the Blue and Gold Series, and we mic'd him up in the middle of a game. 
yeah. and he's playing third base. We had him, and he's like, oh, I'm going to go make this play. Ground ball to third. He called it himself as he's making the play. I went, dude, you'd be perfect at this. Oh, yeah. He would, man. He's funny. Like, you know, he's a good-looking dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, he, he, he would kill it for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, what – I want to before we get into this Brewers series because I know because again there's so many people listening to this who they don't know a whole lot about the Brewers. We do know about a couple ex Mariner players on there, especially Jesse Winker, who traded over you know for Colton Wong. Uh, I want to talk about him in a second, but just before we get into that, so you right now you do TV and radio for the Brewers. Mm-hmm. What was your first year? And tell me the pathway, man, because I will before you get into that, I will say this in 2013, you know, I'd been. Um, you know, played in the big leagues at that point, but I've been a bunch around a bunch of, you know, triple A and double A and, you know, you're, you're always on the road with these, these radio voices and stuff. I've got to say, man, and this has gone back before, and I'm not just saying this because you're sitting in front of me right now in 20 and this, and well before I even thought about, I want to do some TV radio or any of that stuff, but I will say this, Jeff, and I don't want to make you uncomfortable here, but dude, I was like, how is this guy in the frigging minor leagues? Like you, <laughs> my, my family said that everyone. And I remember as soon as you got that Brewers gig, I was like, oh, this is, there's, this is like not shocking at all. So I, I will say that dude. That's very kind. It's very kind. I, uh, I was just trying to catch my breath that year. It was my first year in AAA. I had done three years in the minor leagues. In Rancho Cucamonga is where I started in A-ball in 2007. And then after that, I was in the Texas League with the Springfield Cardinals in double A, yeah. 2010 through 2012. And then I got the job at Pawtucket 2013. I had a big league interview after that season. Ended up not getting it. It was with the Brewers as well. Uh, and then I came back for 2014 and then got hired by the Brewers for the 2015 season. So it's been eight years in the minor leagues. I'm in my ninth year in the big leagues. Um, it is totally surreal. I never thought I was ever going to do this job, to be honest with you. Um, I got my job in the minor leagues, having done like four full baseball games in my life. Uh, I had done other sports. I'd done softball and basketball, played all the way through college, played baseball through college. Um, but I mean, you've seen me, I'm five ten and can't, you know, run. I can hit, but that's about it. Um, but I was not going to be a professional. So I wanted to get in the sport. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then as soon as I did my first game of play by play doing baseball, I went, I I think this is what I want to do. And I just continued to, to get better. And lucky enough for me, it was before the Twitter era and I could make a lot of mistakes and nobody was listening to me (laughs) and stuff. And I just pretended like I was broadcasting for the families back at home. And that's basically what I was doing. Um, you know, we were on a radio station that you couldn't hear us my first year unless you were sitting in the parking lot of the physical radio station. So I had 140 games in the minor leagues wow. where I could make as many mistakes as I could. Nobody could hear it because the station was all Spanish all the time until we hit the air. And then it went back to Spanish program when we were done. So nobody was listening. And uh, I had 140 dress rehearsals that first year. And I'm, I'm very thankful for that. So you, so after 2013, you interviewed with the Brewers. What mm-hmm. happened there? Like, did it come down to you and someone else? Or, and then all, then all of a sudden, 12, that's kind of weird because 12 months later, usually if they hire someone, they're not, they're not there for a year and they're out unless they're, you know. Yeah, no, it was a different role. So uh, oh. Brian Anderson, who's our, our primary play-by-play guy, does NBA on, on Turner now and the, mm-hmm. the game of the week on Turner. He's, he's phenomenal. He's been doing the playoffs for years for baseball and, and the NBA and college basketball. He started to pare back his schedule on the TV side. So they actually, my first interview with the Brewers was for the TV fill-in. Um, 
then I ended up missing out on that. They, they hired a local guy, Matt LePay, who does the, the Wisconsin Badgers. He's amazing. Just one of my favorite people ever. And they made the right decision. I would not have been ready to do that job. Uh, but the following year, uh, Bob Uecker decided not to travel as much anymore. They needed somebody to fill in on the road. So that's where I initially got my in with the Brewers. I didn't do every game. I did 70 games that first year as the fill-in on the road. Didn't do any home games. I was I was running the Brewers Twitter, giving updates, and like Bernie Brewers slide. And right. if someone hits a home run, I'm tweeting out that. So I was doing a little bit of everything. Um, and then my second year, 2016, our number two guy left to go to Pittsburgh. And uh, he's been there ever since I got elevated. Now I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between TV and radio. I never thought the TV side was going to be in the mix, but now I'm the primary television guy doing about 105 games every year and about 50 wow. on radio. So it's, it's, it's an evolution, but it's been fun. So in this 70 games, it was all radio, right? When you first, yeah, I remember that. I remember, cause I remember yeah. texting back and forth with you just saying, I remember saying congrats and everything else, but I remember it was radio. Then, then I started seeing you popping up on TV and I was like, Oh, here we go. You know, this, <laughs> this is, you know, that, that's for sure happening. But uh, also too, one other thing, and, and I know you've probably answered this a thousand times. I think I've asked you too before, but remember we have some people up here in, in the Northwest who want to know this question. You mentioned Bob Uecker. All right. Yeah. Talk us through it, man. I mean, again, the, the movie for me, it, when I hear that voice, again, coming from Australia, I have no exposure to baseball. I love that movie. That's like one of my little go-tos to try and mimic Charlie Sheen's mechanics. No joke, right? But yeah. he's the voice of it. It's so funny. But t talk us through that, man. How, how is it working with him? It's very surreal. And I remember you telling me the story of being in Australia. You'd watch Major League and I think the VHS tape from the 93 World Series. Is that right? Now that exactly. That's Gosh. right. That was that was my go-to. What a it. great series that was. Oh yeah. I'm just just know that I'm locked in. I remember. Um, so working with Euchre is uh it's surreal, first and foremost. Like, I mean, come on, why why do I have this opportunity? How is this real life? Um, you know, you sit there, one of my favorite moments in Something that, that I, I miss a lot in that first year when I wasn't doing games because I wasn't working with him. I would sit in the back of the booth and when he wasn't on the air, he would just walk up the stairs and sit next to me and we would chat for innings at a time and just talk about life. And he'd tell stories and, you know, he'd talk about what's going on in the game. And then he'd start telling a story about Mickey Mantle. And you're like, what are you, what? Are you kidding me? And then he'd tell stories about how Tom Berenger, the catcher in Major League, actually couldn't throw at all. They had to have someone throw for him um, <laughs> really? in those movie scenes. Oh, God, yeah. Like when he's trying to block balls, that's really him because he was a terrible baseball player. Um, wow. Yeah, for sure. And he couldn't throw. So he had to have a throwing double um, when he's airmailing balls in the scene in spring training. That's really Tom Berenger throwing. And he's trying to throw well. Um, wow. Yeah. So Euchre would tell all these stories and, and he still does. And, and being his partner, I still do about 45 games with him a year at home. So we still get those opportunities to go back and forth. And every time he tosses to me for, all right, play-by-play play play the third, here's Jeff. You just go, oh, my God. What? I, no, it's, yeah. no right. it's nuts. But everything you'd ever think about him is, is true in spades. He's a great human being. Um, he's hilarious beyond belief and still sharp. He's 89 years old, and you'd never know. He sounds like he's 50. Well, I don't want to turn this into a broadcasting podcast because I, I love it, man. I love the art form of it. And, uh, you know, obviously getting into it, I, I just, it's so much fun. I, I, I did, I was in the booth on Saturday night, um, did color on Saturday. I'm trying to do more color 
Uh, I got to do the World Baseball Classic, but I usually do the pre post game, pre and post game show or radio. I uh, do radio post. So, but I, I will say this: um, one thing about Bob Euchre that I picked up on in game or pre and post the self deprecation part. You know, when he that I remember reading an article and and he put. I can't, I can't remember the quotes, but I was like, boom, okay, I am now comfortable ripping myself to shreds at my career because of that. And thinking to myself, people relate to that. And I feel like every time that someone sort of, you know, talks to me away from off air or something like that, or if it's a fan or something, they always tend to go in the direction. Of, oh yeah. I remember you said this or said that it's that little, that icebreaker because it's good to make fun of yourself. <laughs> yeah, you have to be comfortable in your own skin, right? And you have yeah. to be comfortable with what you did. Listen, you were a big league pitcher. There are not a lot of people that can say that they were big league pitchers, big league players. Yuke was one of them. And he had a cannon for a throwing arm. He yeah. caught Bob Gibson. He hit home run off of Sandy Koufax. Like, he had a great career. Yeah, he hit the Mendoza line. It should be the Euchre line, by the way, because he hit 200 on the nose. Mendoza actually hit 199. So it should be the Euchre line. Um, But he played in the big leagues. He won a world series. Like it's you, but you have to have those achievements in order to be able to make fun of yourself. And and that's being comfortable in your own skin. And, and, um, and he's the greatest at it. He's the absolute best at being self-deprecating. All right. Let's talk about this Brewers team. So let's, let's talk, talk us through for me and the, all the, um, the Mariner listeners, what can we expect? What What are some things? That, what do you guys right now? What's your record? Like eleven and five, I think it was. Yeah, eleven and five. Just took three out of four against San Diego um, in the middle. This is the last city of our three city ten day ten game road trip. Is this your first uh, time in Seattle, by the way? Second. So this is second, the second okay. time ever in the city of Seattle. The last gotcha. time was 2016. The last time the Brewers were in town. Right. Uh, I love this city, by the way. It's an amazing city. I, and I'm glad that we come back every other year now. That's one of the benefits of the schedule. Yeah, um, that is cool. I, I do like so the new good. schedule for sure. It's yeah, awesome. it's really good. I'm glad that we, we don't have to go a long time without seeing other teams and in their cities. Uh, but this team is all about pitching, um, pitching and defense, preventing runs, uh, Mariners see Corbin Burns tonight. He was not very good in his first couple of appearances, but man, was he dialed in against the Diamondbacks his last time out. Finally had that cutter going. Uh, unfortunately, Brandon Woodruff is on the, the injured list right now. He's got a bad shoulder. He went on the IL in Arizona. But when those two guys are healthy, they're as good a one-two punch as there is in the league. Um, and then Freddie Peralta has been throwing the ball well. Wade Miley, the ageless one. God, he's so fun to watch. He works quick through a gym yesterday in San Diego. Uh, and Eric Lauer just kind of eats innings, and, and he's got some pretty decent stuff too. But it's all about the starting pitching. Devin Williams out of the back end of the bullpen. Big question was how are they going to get the ball to Devin Williams? I think they've kind of figured that out and has some guys that have stepped up in the back end of the bullpen. Um, there's some offensive – there's different ways to score with this Brewers team now. They were very home run heavy. Over the last few years, it was okay. Get a couple guys on and hope someone hits a three-run homer. Now they're hitting three-run homers, but they've got some great team speed. Some of these rookies that they have, Joey Weimer in right, Garrett Mitchell in center, Bryce Terang at second base. I mean, they're as good defensively as there is in those in those three positions. Yeah. Um, Joey Weimer leads Major League Baseball in DRS right now in defensive runs saved for any position. He leads it, and he wasn't on the, the opening day roster. So, uh, Willie Adam is still a great player at shortstop. Brian Anderson is having a nice start to the season. Rowdy Teles hits bombs and wears the cheese head on his head. So, I mean, it's it's a fun, fun group, no doubt. 
How how did the Brewers get to this stage? Like, and, and the reason I bring that up because I was talking earlier about the Rockies, Mariners, the contrast, right? We just had the Rockies in town. Mm-hmm. The Rockies will not, they have that philosophy. They won't rebuild, right? Yet they'll go out and trade away Nolan Arenado or they'll let John Gray walk and get nothing. And then they, Trevor Story, they're like, oh, we can't afford to pay him. We'll let him go. Um And so I'm looking at this and the Mariners have swept the Rockies and they've got so many holes and they kind of add on to not, I'm not saying some of the, 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 you know, the cracks um, that they already have, but they're not in this, they're not one of these teams. And and you've seen, obviously, even the Boston Red Sox, a big market team, all of a sudden, oh, we're going to scale it back now and rebuild. But what's the, how do the Brewers get to this place? Because they are always prevalent every year, the last couple of years, you know, in a tough division. Yeah, I mean, those teams had cracks in the foundation. Um, yeah. The Brewers don't have cracks in the foundation, and I'll tell you that. The, they did a great job in the draft in the mid-2010s of getting these pitchers. Like, the core of this group has been here since that beginning run of 2018 when the, when the club went to the NLCS. Woodruff, Burns, Peralta debuted that year. Devin Williams debuted the next season. Um, but they've done a nice job with their position players of just – filling in like Yelich has been here and Yelich is not the same guy that he was when he was traded here in 2018. He's not an MVP caliber type of player, but they have filled in with these players for one or two years. The Willie Adamas trade, I think was huge with Tampa a couple of years ago, solidifying the shortstop position to give some time for Bryce to to develop a former first round pick to have Garrett Mitchell, who's a first round pick come in and do this. They didn't anticipate Joey Weimer getting to this point as fast as a fourth round pick a couple seasons ago, but they've done a nice job. Brian Anderson's out there just sitting, sitting there waiting to be signed. They make a quick deal and he's there. You, you sign a Wade Miley, you trade for William Contreras, who's an all-star last year. Now he's your catcher. And he's one of the top defensive catchers in baseball in the first three weeks of the season. So they've done a really good job player development wise. They've had some draft picks hit and you have to have draft picks hit and then kind of fill in from there. But the core of this has been the pitching uh, and these starters that have done such a great job. And Craig Council is, is the master of his craft. He is such a good manager, such a good guy coming into the clubhouse and just getting these guys to buy in and be who they are. And he doesn't force them to be anything but that. And I think that that's a really good quality of a manager. Yeah, because I, I, I just looking at the Brewers and just kind of doing a quick little <clears throat> summary of what where, where they've been, what they've done. You mentioned the, the the core group, especially the pitching. That's where I sort of, when you run parallels with teams with the Mariners, because they got a young team, finally yeah. broke the drought last year. They're on the verge of being having a nice run. You know what I mean? Um, and so that's what I go from the Rockies to what I saw last week. Cause I, I I'm not going to lie, man. Like for years, I always kind of drew those comparisons of like the same kind of makeup of like, you know, mid market team and, and the way they, you know, even from a marketing side of things and, and all the, everything else that goes with it. And now I'm watching like Charlie Blackman kind of be that next version of Todd Helton and kind of hanging yeah. out and not getting being an amazing player, but not getting a chance to really, show up in the playoffs or be a part of a winning team, you know? So I, I just, I look at the Brewers, man, they, they, the way they piece it together, it's, it's, it's kind of that, that, you know, that template really. And you mentioned the foundation of that. I do want to talk yeah. about the pitching Wade Miley. And he was, he was a teammate of mine in 2014. Great dude. Hates the, is he still scared to fly? Like, is he still freak out? On the plane he's, he, I think he's a little bit less weary of it now because he was walking up and down, but maybe it's because he okay. threw seven shutout innings against the Padres yesterday, but he was walking up and down <laughs> the, 
the aisles <laughs> and having a great time and making fun of people. So he I think he's, he's on, he had to get on a 14 hour flight to Australia. When he was with the D backs, we opened up against the Dodgers in 14, the year after I saw you. Right. Right. And he was just dude, for days before. That's how we, that's how we bonded, man. Literally like for spring training, he's like, tell me about the flight. Like what do I do on the flight? Yeah. <laughs> no. God, Wade, he's just such a great dude. And he was part of that 18 team too. He was a star. Yeah. Remember he started three games in the NLCS. He yeah. only lasted one batter in, in game five, but the, the famous game five. Um, but he's just such a calming person yeah. to everybody. He just has this way of talking to you and just decompressing everything. It's just amazing. He had a bit of a, you know, his career had a bit of a resurrection, right? I mean, he yeah. he was starting to sort of, because he was the opening day starter with the D-backs in 14, and then he started to dip a little bit. What, what's what been the difference for him? And, you know, obviously the Brewers signed him this year and him being in that rotation, but what do you, if you've had any conversations with him or sort of watching that trajectory, what's been the difference with, with Wade Miley? The Mariners, by the way, won't see him this series, but yeah. I've been paying close attention. I always like to to my my flailing teammates as they slowly disappear but yeah. just watching his what he's been doing have you had a chance to talk to him at all yeah it's the cutter and the command i mean remember early in his career he just could not throw strikes consistently so he yeah. he knocked down some of his velocity and he's like listen i'm just gonna pound the strike zone i'm gonna pound yeah. the strike zone i'm gonna get ground balls i don't i don't care about striking guys out fine i'll get a few here and there but i'm going to throw my cutter for strikes i'm going to dominate the inside part of the plate and throw my change up away mix in a slider every now and again i still have 91 92 in the tank if i want to the four seamer i can elevate that and i can get guys out but his idea of a perfect game is not 27 up 27 down on 27 strikeouts he wants to throw 30 pitches and have 27 ground outs yeah and i think that that's it's a mental shift, right? And as your game progresses, as you develop as a pitcher, as you develop as an offensive player, you just learn so much more about yourself. And you don't care about the ego stuff, right? It's yeah. not about that. It's how am I going to be successful? How am I going to be a good teammate? I think that that's what Wade has figured out. I've got to say, it drives me nuts, man. When I see these guys, like Wade Miley, he's like, oh yeah, because I remember reading stuff. He's like, oh, I found this this cutter and – I start throwing that a lot. I'm like, dude, yeah, like it's people who have not pitched before think that, oh yeah, just start throwing a cut fastball, especially if you don't have the velo or if you're a lefty or righties. I tried that in 2010, dude. It literally derailed my spring training. I was trying so hard. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't throw, I couldn't throw that pitch. It was like 83 miles an hour. I just, and just flat and just got crushed. I keep working, keep working. So I suck up all this spring training. It's hard to do, man. Hey, another guy speaking of cutters, Corbin Burns. I I want to ask you this. Now he's yeah. filthy, man. I love watching him pitch. But going back, he spoke publicly about the arbitration um, going to and and I, I I applaud guys who sit in those hearings, those arbitration hearings. And for those of you who don't know, basically, well, you can tell the story. Basically, the Brewers and and Corbin had to. They're at uh, there was an arbitration year for him, and you you can you can fill in the blanks for me, Jeff here. And oh, uh, I, I just want I want to ask you a question after this, after you give the rundown yeah. of Corbin Burns in spring training. Yeah, so I mean, he's he's up for arbitration. He won a Cy Young a couple of years ago, um, and as you know, arbitration is a cutthroat situation, right? the The team is going to tell you where you are deficient, even if you are an All Star again, and if you finish fifth in the Cy Young award for a second year, and you won it the year before, they're going to try and find ways to save as much money as possible in arbitration. That's just what the process is about. 
player comes in with X number, team comes in with X numbers. Most of the time you try and meet in the middle. And if that doesn't work, the arbiter says either the team wins or the player wins. Okay. It's a tough process. If it's me, I don't want to be in the room. I'm going to let my agent handle it. And I want to have them tell my agent, okay, this is what's going on. They're going to try and defend me. Boom. But like you said, give him a ton of credit for being in the room, for being present. He's the Brewers player rep for the players union. So Mm -hmm. He, he is a strong-willed human being, and, and I give him, like I said, a lot of credit. He said what he said afterwards. There was a little bit of animosity between the two parties, uh, but they sat down. They moved on. Everything is fine. Corbin's going to have a great season again this year, even though he got off to the slow start. Um, but you know what? It's, it's part of the process. It stinks. I think that the arbitration situation is just awful, but that's the hand Brutal. that's dealt. Yeah. That's, That's the hand that's dealt. And until they fix it, then this is what we're going to have to deal with. Yeah, and, and I saw that. And I get both sides of it. Obviously, the, the the team is like, well, we're not just going to be like, oh, yeah, you are good. Hey, we don't want to you know, ruffle feathers or upset you. But the, the key there, I think, too, with the Brewers, and you talked about, we're talking about the organization and what you know, Mariners fans can expect, what they're up against these next three days for this series. But the fact they sit down and figure it out, so there's no – BS going into the middle of the season and he's like, Oh, I still haven't spoke to my GM. I still haven't spoke to this owner or whatever. You got just any, when I saw him talking to the, the media, I'm like, okay, I get it. I totally understand where he's coming from. Yeah. But at the same time, like that you and then off privately go talk it out, figure it out. Obviously the team is that's you're with a contending team. You're not with a team that's just rebuilding right now. Any of that kind of stuff. But I, I saw that as like, Oh man, please. If this, lingers or if there's some sort of personality because i love watching him pitch and i love it when dudes have got you know the personality to go with it too you know what i mean yeah no i'm I'm right there with you and uh, they didn't need time to pass right they didn't need to sit there for a week and you know stew on it they needed to talk that day and that day and i think they didn't go more than 24 hours but but at the end of the day if corbin burns wants to get paid he needs to pitch too and he needs to pitch well and he's going to get paid because he's an outstanding pitcher um, and he's a team guy. He wants the team to be successful. So the best thing for him to do is just go out there and pitch with a little red ass and go dominate, and everything's going to work out in the end. That That's where I stand on it. If you're upset, it's that old minor league line, right? Well, if you don't like it, play better. Play better, yeah. So It's true. That's, Absolutely, man. I said it to my kids. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, right? If you don't like it, well, get better. That's right, exactly. Hey, um, speaking of red ass, we had a guy last year on the Mariners roster who just charged at the dugout of the of the Los Angeles Angels. He's now wearing a Brewers uniform, Jesse Winker. All right, it was a it was a love hate relationship with the fans. It was good and bad. He struggled. He was very emotional. He was had a down year. He because man, he's got so much potential. What do you got on Jesse Winker? What are you seeing so far from him? Well, it was a tough year for Jesse, and he'd be the first one to admit that. He said it publicly. Listen, he's a a down-home, southern kind of guy. He was as far away from his family as he could be being in Seattle. He had a lot of extra stuff going on. He was not healthy. His back was aching. His neck was a mess. His knee was a mess. Not making excuses for him. Not making excuses for attitude. But since he's put on a a Brewers uniform, he's been awesome. You walk up to him and he's all these bright eyed, bushy tailed. He's smiling to people. He's making conversation. I just think he's in a better place mentally. Um, And that's a really good thing. It's a good thing 
when you feel good about yourself and you can go out and perform and he's performed so far in the first couple of weeks of the season, he's only played in the field. I think one time he's doing the DHing stuff mostly. Um, but he's such a big piece to this, this offense. Um, he doesn't strike out a ton. He draws walks. I mean, he's just a good hitter. He has a ton of potential and it's a shame that he didn't put that together in Seattle. It's a tough year, but yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm fortunate as a Brewers employee to, to see him this year. All right, so before I let you go, Jeff, because you got a big day ahead of you, you got Seattle Mariners baseball, right? I do. Well, Brewers baseball, brew the battle, the battle of the the pilots. Yeah, there you go. Now, give give me your um, give me your sort of from an outside of the Northwest bubble. What's your view, your perception of the Seattle Mariners? And you can be as honest as you want. Go I love it. the Mariners. So I love the Mariners, right? I I was a big Griffey guy growing up, and Griffey. Buner, Edgar Martinez, Joey Cora. Like I love, and of course, Randy Johnson. I loved the Mariners. Like I was so, I grew up in Northern California, a Giants fan. It was great, but man, I wanted to root for the Mariners so bad. I really did just because of Griffey and everything else. So I grew up on that. Uh, but Aaron Goldsmith is one of my best friends. So Goldie and I go back and forth all the Ex time. Poor, so uh, poor sock too. That's right. I, I feel I took his job when he left and took the Mariners yeah. job. So um, he's just, I, I root for him. I root for his success. Uh, I just, I love the Mariners. I love their pitching staff. Like they've got some dudes that could throw some cheese. That bullpen is nasty. And Luis Castillo, I'm glad the Brewers missed Castillo because they've been sitting there in the yeah. in the Central having to deal with Castillo <laughs> right. as, as a member he's of the ridiculous. Reds. He's so good. He's so good. And I'm glad he's on a winning team and he gets to experience these things. Uh, listen, the, the West is a bear. It's a tough division with the Mariners, uh, with the Astros, of course. I think the Angels are better. You know, it's just – it's a tough division. Um, sure. So I'm glad the Mariners are up there. It's a competitive team. I love Ty France. He's a spring training killer of the Brewers. Um, so hopefully he's got a tough three days, but I love Ty France too. Awesome. Well, Jeff, listen, man, this has been fun. I appreciate your time. Go enjoy. I don't want to take up too much of your tourist time. Go, go you toss could. the fish down at Pikeface Market. <laughs> do they do they let randos do that, or do I have to like? No, you gotta stand there and watch. No, you gotta stand okay. there and watch. All right. Okay. Don't, don't try and mess with the the fish. Now, but go, go enjoy Seattle, and I'll see you later on today, my man. I you got it, buddy. I look yeah, forward great. to it, man. Great to see you, Megla. Yeah. <laughs> Good to see you, champion. All right. See you, buddy. Man, I love that dude. Jeff Levering, absolute gold. So, again, he's the Brewers play-by-play uh, -play guy. He's here in, in, in town. And I, I love hearing everyone always goes back to the mid – or anyone my age, actually, always goes back to the mid-90s and says Griffey and everything else. But then uh, – it was, it was interesting hearing him talking about uh, Jesse Winker and, and some of the things he said, how he said he wasn't comfortable, he's away from his family, everything else. But, man, what a, what a bizarre um, time that was. Because if you let, – let's go back to that. you got Eugenio Suarez, Jesse Winker trade right after the lockdown. The Mariners are kind of handcuffed in, in, in what kind of moves they could, they could make. They weren't one of these big market teams that any free agent was just like, you know, I'm just going to sign with them quickly before – spring training started so they had to get clever and they made that big trade suarez worked out so good love that guy when he as soon as he came in with the the cruella deville hair and his good vibes i'm like okay is this a whole act uh is this guy going to produce is this guy on the downside of downside of his defensive career and his offensive career 
not the case. He's been great. He's been crushing the ball. He's been that home run he hit on in, on Saturday night. I was in the booth for that. I was like, I was just jumping up and down in my seat next to Dave Sims. So excited. Um, I couldn't wait to to give my little piece on uh, Gino. But uh, it was that was a great part of the trade. The Jesse Winker thing, man. He was an All Star the year prior. In my opinion, this is what I think. And yeah, he spent some time down the drive line as well. So. Um, this is probably not so much stuff I'd say on radio or TV, but so he he's struggling. He comes into camp. He's not as strong as he was. I, in my opinion, I feel like he kind of had some success and he kind of got comfortable. And what, what I mean by that is sometimes players, when they have a little bit of success, whatever it may be, they kind of fall into this thing like, oh, I've got this kind of figured out. I'm just going to roll in. Everything's going to kind of work out. I'm going to kind of do the same workout routine. Um, and then all of a sudden, mid-year, he, he goes to, down to the guys down the driveline who do a phenomenal job. I've talked to him a bunch. If you haven't seen the Andrew Eit episode, uh, go check it out on the top step. I go into driveline and, and open up a can of worms. Basically, the best hitting and pitching facility on the planet right here in Seattle. But um, he goes down there and he says, hey, help me. And they do an assessment. And when they do an assessment, they do a swing assessment. They do a motion capture. They do a biomechanics assessment. They do a, you see a trainer to make sure there's no injuries or weak links. You also do a strength assessment. And that was one thing he was lacking big time. Um, he just wasn't strong. And they compare you to different um, different guys uh, at your level, obviously the major leagues, college level, everything else. And he was sub, subpar. He just wasn't strong at all. He wasn't explosive. And that was a, a big telltale. So that was one of his things this offseason going into, which I thought if he was going to be in a Mariners uniform, I thought he was going to come out and just tear the cover off the ball because he he kind of got, got back on some of those weak links. Like I said, the guys that drive on do a great job. JP Crawford was down there this offseason, uh, got after it. Matt Brash was there. Uh, Matt Fester was there. I mean, there's a there's a bunch. Of, I mean, Otani was there, for God's sakes. I mean, they, they, they're, they're phenomenal. Go check out that... that um, that episode though with with uh, uh, Andrew Ide, but anyway, Jeff Levering, love the dude, man. He's one of the best. If you ever get a chance, you're watching a Brewers game, make sure you tune in on the Brewers side of the broadcast because he's so good. He's smooth, and uh, he mentioned Aaron Goldsmith. They're very similar in that regard. So very similar kind of guys. All right, let's get back to uh, what we're going to get into before we're talking about some of the top performers um, for the Seattle Mariners now. All right, I've got some obvious ones. Oh, by the way, I'm going to get into some of your, your questions I saw on, on Twitter as well. Um, I'll get into all that in just a second. But all right, the dude, the biggest story this year. Now, we can talk about Julio Rodriguez being the face of baseball all you want. The biggest story, and I'm talking if this keeps up, will be one of the biggest stories outside of the Northwest bubble here that, that with Mariner fans. Jared Kelnick is doing some stuff, man, that is just insane. Above and beyond what I think, again, it's hard to say that because you go back to the anticipation of his call-up and the prospect status he had and everything else. But some of the things he's doing right now are just absolutely wild. So a couple of things to, to factor in here. First of all, all right, <laughs> spring training, I was that dude, and someone hit me up on, on Twitter and said, oh, you know, all of a sudden you're a, a Jared Kelnick fan. Because apparently I was bashing him before. I wasn't bashing him before. There was a one episode I did last year, and you can go back and listen to it, where I break down what he does with his uh, social media. <laughs> he took all the Mariner stuff off. He didn't get called up. I believe Taylor Trammell came up. Jared didn't. He he just basically he. It's like his way of saying I'm cutting the cord with um with the Seattle Mariners. But and he took all the stuff off social media, etc. So 
And I kind of, I stepped in on that and I wasn't bashing him for it. I just said, I get why he's doing it. And, but I understand how, you know, that's something you, you shouldn't, you really shouldn't do in my opinion. But, um, but he's dude, first of all, the four home runs were no cheapies. Go back to that, that cub series, that ball furthest ball hit in, um, in at Wrigley in the stack cast era. Insane. Right. I think he was what he was around the, uh, 480 mark or something like that. Yeah. I just got to adjust this real quick. Hold on. Why is that slipping? There we go. There we go. Um, and then the ball, honestly, the ball to straightaway, straightaway center on the weekend, Friday night, was insane. Now, that's one thing. The ability to drive the ball, and you get I get sick of people saying, oh, just you know, spray the ball to left field more often. But it's not just about hit the ball to left field. It's about hitting the ball up the middle and to left field with authority. And that's one thing that they said, look, if you can stay up the middle, I talked about that with uh, Eugenio Suarez um, the other night when I was in the booth. If you can stay up the middle, Mike Trout talks about it all the time. Mike Trout basically says when he's starting to struggle or get off time, he just picks up the pitcher's head and I'm just going to backspin it right back to the pitcher's, the, the pitcher's cap. That's all I'm trying to do. That's it. I'm just going to hit it on the line. That's all he tries to think about. So with Jared Kelnick, the ability to hit the ball with some exit velo to center field, left field too, and there's been a couple of big hits left field, but to, to straight away, when you start seeing those little dots on baseball savant pop up in the middle of the field, that's when I think he is at his best. The other thing too, and some of the the, the uh, swing mechanics, one thing he was doing, not that he was trying to do it, but that front foot would land. As the front foot landed, the front hip would roll out onto that front foot. Now, all of a sudden, that hip, it, it's kind of like hinging. Basically, his front foot lands and that hip is staying um, closed and he's able to hinge around that front foot. That's another thing that, that's changed. But let's talk about some of the at-bats. I'll go back to, I, I said this last week. There's an at-bat against De Los Santos where he got 0-2, 3-2, laid off a change-up, and then able to drive, drive a run in an extra inning game. Since then, there has been uh, incident, inc, um, times where, Man, it's been pitches, pitches. I'm telling you right now. Saturday night, there was an at-bat. Um, he's facing Feltner, Ryan Feltner. He threw two filthy change-ups. Now, when you go into that at-bat with Jared Kilnick, he's talking about winning every battle and 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 over. And I think he's, you know, sometimes he over-processes and stuff like that. So Ryan Feltner threw him two change-ups down and away. And you look at that and think, well, you know, no big deal. But he swung and missed. You go back to the dugout if you're Jared Kelnick, man, this is, and I've, I talked about this on Saturday, this is a dude that they can handle stuff-wise. The Mariners should be able to, and they did, they knocked him out of the game. But with Feltner, this is a dude they can handle. So all of a sudden, Jared Kelnick, and I've, I saw this last year, he'd get beat on a couple pitches that he could handle or he could lay off or he could make contact on, even though he struggled to make contact last year, right? All of a sudden, he throws two change-ups around the same spot. Well, the at-bat after that, he tried to go down and away again. It just wasn't the same. Jared Kelnick was not susceptible to that pitch. And sure enough, he faces a lefty. Again, I'm about to get in the lefty thing. His next at-bat hits the ball to left field. Okay, so it's not this thing where he's taking pitches into, taking at-bats into the next at-bat. Now, the lefties, hitting off lefties. I said this at the beginning of the year. I can't remember. I think it was on Root Sports or something. I said, if he can get off to the kind of start that we've seen him do in spring training, that kind of production, and he's not going to be a platoon guy. They brought in AJ Pollock to platoon, and, and, and Jared was only going to face righties, and, and um, AJ, who does really good things against lefties, they were going to split time. 
When you're a Jared Kelnick type of talent, an athlete, you don't split time if you can figure it out upstairs, if you can figure that swing out. So what he did, he gets that start uh, against a lefty on Friday night. And what does he do? Crushes him. What that does, I'm telling you right now, that just buys you everyday playing time, not platoon time, everyday playing time. And then on Saturday, he backs it up on Saturday. Not that he's facing uh, in Brent Suda, not that he's facing like in some Chris Sale, but the fact he's able to show that he can throw a pitcher's pitch, I'm okay with the two at-bats I had prior to that. Boom, into left field. Thank you. That's going to buy him so many more at-bats and so much more consistency. Jared Kelnick is a dude that needs to have consistent playing time. All right. One other thing which is fascinating, and this is why I'm talking about Jared Kelnick in regards to him, um, not just being someone who, oh, yeah, the Mariners. No, no. This is going to be something that, uh, in my opinion, um, is uh, why he's going to be talked about nationally. So he's barrel percentage. All right. So let's talk about barrel percentage. If you don't know what that means, I'm going to give you a quick little rundown of barrel percentage. Basically what it is, it's kind of like that perfect combination of exit velocity, how hard you hit the ball off the bat, and launch angle. In other words, if you hit a ball on the ground, you know that the, it's a sub sub launch angle, right? If you hit the ball from, you know, to, you know, the 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 bat path up, it's a positive um, launch angle. Now, if you hit it too high, obviously it's a pop up. So a a barrel, what's considered a in in the stack cast numbers, what's considered a barrel, it requires at least ninety eight miles per hour exit velo. Um, the ball again, ball the, the, it comes off the bat. And the launch angle has to be between 25 and 31 degrees. Now, if you throw that, if you um, hit the ball harder, let's say you go up to 100 and so on and so forth, up to 120, you can afford to launch the ball higher, right? Because when you're hitting it further, excuse me, when you're hitting it harder, the ball will go further, even with that different, that higher trajectory. So, <laughs> um, Jared Kelnick, his barrel percentage, he's in the top 10 Major League Baseball in barrel percentage. Yeah, you know hard that is to do. We're talking. Let me pull up some some dudes here real quick as as I'm looking at this real quick. So th- th- this is these are some of the numbers. Okay, so let's have a look. Um, and I like barrel percentage. It's a really good number, I think. Um, all right, so you're talking. You've got well, Matt Chapman's up there, man. He's crushing the ball. But you've got guys like Orhe Soler. You got uh, Ryan Mount- Montcastle. Guys who Peter Alonso. Guys who essentially. They make really friggin' hard contact when they make contact. So this is a percentage um, when you strike the ball. Now, you look at the whiff percentage, right? Uh, and you talk about he's in around the 50% mark. So none of these dudes, when you go to the, the swing and miss percentage, none of these guys are good, right? That's what I'm trying to say. So you have that combination. He's not missing pitches. He's not swinging and missing, but he's, he's barreling balls up all day long. So... That kind of combination, honestly, when you see some of these things and you talk about some of the numbers he's put up, a 438 batting average in, the, in his little nine-game uh, hitting streak going into yesterday. You know, some of the numbers like that, he's slugging 723, insane. And by the way, too, if you're one of these guys who, or one of these people uh, who who say, oh, you know, all these stupid stat cast numbers, no, 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 they do translate. I'm telling you right now, like if basically if you can barrel, if you can get a quote-unquote barrel, like I said, I gave you the parameters before that. You're looking at a 500 batting average. That's what it converts to and a 1500 slug. So you want to try and get that 
barrel percentage up as high as you can. So Jared Kelnick is my number one top performer. I'm going to get into some of the some of your questions and comments here on on social media. Another one, <laughs> the dude who threw yesterday. Uh, he was my pick. If you go back to some of the early episodes, my he's my Cy Young candidate. I said this before he even threw a pitch um, in uh, in the regular season. I was a little I was a little worried. I'm not going to lie. Luis Castillo has been ridiculous. Sub one ERA. We all know the numbers. Swing and miss through the roof. You know, three pitches that are just absolutely filthy. But I was a little worried. I'm not going to lie. Velo was down in spring training. Yes, he's a slow starter. I know that. I'm thinking to myself, man, if he gets off to this start where he's – and he's been the ace before with the Reds. I get it. Let's say he gets off to this start where, um, you know, slow April, he's throwing 92, 93. There's going to be more of this doubt, doubt, doubt seeping in. And he's not a guy that doubts himself. I'm not telling you that right now. But all of a sudden, you may have – the Mariners are very hands-on in regard to, to pitching and, and, and um, trying to you know, fix things and everything else. So I saw him in spring training. Uh, I was watching him and I was kind of watching the, the, you know, the velo slowly seep up, but all of a sudden he gets to that first game, that home opener. And I'm like, no, we're good. 95, 96, which he will hit triple digits as this, as it starts to warm up. Uh, and his slider and his changeup. Now, his slider was kind of hittable in spring training. I was watching. I'm like, oh, God, is this one of these things where he's now going to become one-dimensional? Dimensional. I will say this. I was like, he just signed a long-term deal. Is he going to do the Jesse Winker like I talked about earlier? Is he going to get comfortable? Uh, nope. He has been ridiculous. So much fun to watch. And just the dude, man. The, even the game against the Cubs. When you watch your dude, Chris Flex, and the guy pitched the night before, give it up. Give up the give up the 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 big lead and everything else, and then you go out and roll out and do what you do, sitting in the dugout. And again, man, he's just been insane. The the Rockies yesterday had no shot. I was watching that game. They come off a. They're about to get swept. They got Luis Castillo. They struggled the night before. They had nothing going Saturday evening uh, against George Kirby, who I said was in the middle of the plate. But they were just – you could just see – they were beaten before they even got to the box, man. It was insane. It was so good to see. So he's my number two performer. Now, again, I will say, of course, Ty France has been doing his thing. I get it. Um, he's been good. But I've got to give it to my man, and I'm about to pull up some numbers in front of me right here, who has just – with all the stuff that's happened around him, the movement <clears throat> and having to pick up some of the slack with an injury – Right, I've got to give it to my dude as I pull him up right here. I could give it to my guy Paul Seawold. Look, this is why he's been good, man. He was good yesterday too. This is why I got to give it to 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 Paul Seawold. How good he's been. He's not giving up any hard contact at all, right? He's swinging miss rate. He's whiff percentage. We saw a ridiculous amount um, back his first year. This is why he came off. He struggled in the playoffs. He comes back to T-Mobile Park um, to start the year. It's essentially year three for him in a Mariners uniform. It's two years removed from that first year when he was just striking everyone out. And yet last year was a bit of an up and down. He's got Andres Munoz who went down. He's had to be he, – he, I don't think I've ever seen Paul Sewell pitch in a non-high leverage situation. I'm not talking about fan graphs either. I'm talking about he's come in where it's been a really, really tough spot to come in. But he's been so good, man. He has been so good. 
The guy who the bullpen has been so much movement. Matt Brash has been inconsistent. Diego Castillo, we saw him. It's contagious. I can't express that enough. When you're in a bullpen and a couple guys around you, it's a collective. Like, oh, we're not throwing strikes. <clears throat> we're getting hit. We're not helping out our starting pitchers. Uh, we're getting injured. You start to fall into that. There's conversations you sit up there. If you're in the in the pen having a beer and you look over to your right, you see him sitting on that bench. They all chat, man. They all talk about different stuff. You can get caught up in that. Paul Sewell, my man, he's been that rock in that bullpen. So he's my number three top performer. All right, let's get into some of the, the questions and <clears throat> comments. Now, this is a big one. At, okay, at Seattle Wayne, how are you doing, my man? He says... Is Jared Kelnick, his future, is he a guy who stays with the Mariners or is he trade bait? Now, Seattle Wayne, thanks for the question, my man. I appreciate it. If he's doing what he's doing right now, right, and this is a team, I'm not talking about just this year and the next, I'm talking about the next five years, <laughs> there's no way they're trading him. Now, if he's, if he's, you know, chills out, and he will, he'll, he'll calm down a little bit off this pace, that's for sure. If he chills out, it's a really good question, by the way. Let's say he chills out and he's, call it 260, and he goes to the break with, um, or the, sorry, excuse me, the trade deadline. Let's say, I'm just throwing numbers out here. Let's say he's got 15 bombs. It's pretty good. His value for trade is through the roof. I, I think you would get a, re, now, like I said, if he's putting up the numbers now, no way he's getting traded. He's, he's just not. If he simmers down and there's that conversation about getting traded, you would bring in a huge haul for Jared Kelnick. <clears throat> you would do really well. But the Mariners are not in that position right now where they want to be starting to give up their start their left fielder right now. He's going to start playing against lefties. He's going to he's going to like I said, he's going to chill out. But they're not in a position right now where they want to start messing with a dude like that. Now, if it's a situation where off-field stuff, that stuff that we don't see. I don't see either. I know I talk to all these guys, but I don't get in that clubhouse. No one does. If people think they may, may know what's going on in there, but no one does. I'm telling you that from a player's point of view. If there's something going on in the clubhouse where he's not gelling with some of the players, sure, they may try and get him at the highest value possible. Who knows? That's one thing. So if you see him get trading, you're like, wow, that's why. I'll tell you right now, that is why. You may not know exactly what went down. If I'm just, again, I'm talking hypothetically here. But I don't see I don't see him trading him at all. I think he stays here. Okay, all right. Scott Dobson on Twitter. What's up, Scott? Greatest Mariner ever. <laughs> I won't go that far. He is putting on a stretch though, and like I said, he is talking. They are starting to talking about him outside of Seattle, which is massive. Just like they do with Julio. Just like Ty France finally got some credit uh, towards the the All Star break. Just like guys like George Kirby, Logan Gilbert gets get talked about. Luis Castillo. Uh, he's starting to get talked about, and it's a big it's a big story because here he was. He had this huge pedigree and athleticism, um, but I wouldn't say the greatest uh, greatest Mariner ever. That's pretty tough. I don't know if he's going to put a statue out the front um, at home at home plate entrance, but um, man, if he keeps up this pace, you're going to see him on some billboards. You're going to see him on some some you know Mariner stuff once it's all said and done. That is for sure. If he sticks around, for sure. If he doesn't get traded, like Seattle Wayne. Maybe do you think he's going to get traded? I don't know. All right, Dennis Tynan. Now this is an interesting one. Dennis T Denise, sorry, Denise Tynan. Um, she said, "Why did the broadcasters call Eugenio Suarez Gino?" Um, and it, because we're yeah, it, it, like it's not a good thing to do. He came into Seattle. He said, "Everyone calls me Gino. That's his nickname. Like everyone calls me Hyphen or RRS or Rhino, whatever it may be." 
this is not coming from us where we're like, oh, are you Eugenio Suarez? We don't like saying that. We're just going to call him Gino. No, no, no. He came in and said, everyone calls me Gino. So usually if I have a friend or a buddy and, and or someone and that's what they say, hey, everyone calls me Kirky, I'm going to call him Kirky. Everyone calls me Reezy. I'm going to, hey, his name's Jason Reezy. I'm going to call him Reezy. Yeah. Um, yeah, everyone calls me Luke because my name's Luke Bryan. I'm going to call you Luke. Yeah, my name's, name's Tristan Katie. I'm going to call you Shark Biscuit. That's your nickname. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So for Eugenio Suarez, Gino, that's what he came in with it. And that's what he said. That's that's probably his teammates and broadcasters. That's what they're going to go with. Eugenio Suarez, I say Eugenio all the time. Dave Sims, Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, Rick Riz, they all say Mike Blowers. They all say Eugenio too. But Gino, he came with us with that. All right, Kirk uh, Corcoran, I think it is. Cochran. Jesse Winker back in Seattle. Now, I did cover that for you, my man. I spoke to Jeff Levering about that. It's going to be interesting when he comes back because he had, like I said, had a weird uh, career here, a weird year here in Seattle Mariners uniform. Didn't work out. Um, and he, they traded him away. And Colton Wong, they got Colton Wong for him. Hopefully Colton works out, but it's going to be interesting. All right, Cheryl Ann Jensen. I've got a couple more here. I'm going to do two more. Cheryl Ann Jensen, talk about the sweeper pitch. Now, the sweeper pitch... Um, you know, if you're talking Penn Murphy, he's got that low arm slot. So he's got that big sweeping, that Frisbee slider. Jeff Nelson back in the day used to throw one. Paul Sewell, the same thing. But I think you're referring to a guy like Shohei Otani, who's throwing that pitch a ton. It's filthy. He struck out Mike Trout with it um, during the WBC. Uh, Mark DeRosa did an excellent um, breakdown on it in MLB Central. So basically what these guys do, Cheryl Ann, great question, by the way. They go off to these facilities and they figure out what, how that pitch profile. So when I'm a pitcher, we, t- we hear a lot about spin rate, vertical, horizontal movement. You hear a lot about uh, gyro degree on a ball, velocity, obviously, et cetera, et cetera. You use all these different parameters and you pigeonhole it into what would profile well because the data says that hitters, if you throw this pitch and you have this kind of horizontal movement with this velocity, um, the chances of them hitting are going to be very low. There's so many, so many data points to say that. So what happens is, and the Mariners do a great job with Penn Murphy and, and Paul Sewald when they come in, they say, listen, if you can get this with this horizontal and a little bit of tilt, don't worry about getting uh, vertical tilt on it. Worry about getting horizontal. That's going to get you more swings and misses. Well, then that's kind of the direction you can go. Easy said and done, obviously. Uh, Penn Murphy and Sewald were classic candidates of that. Uh, Seawall especially, his career was kind of taking a nosedive and then he comes to Seattle, figure that out. But Shohei Otani, look, he's in another on another level. Uh, with Shohei, he has a split, he throws 100, I get it. But that sweeping slider is one of those pitches that <clears throat> he felt like, I am comfortable throwing this pitch, I am comfortable uh, throwing it at game speed. It's going to be my go-to because I can throw it for strikes. When I throw it in the strike zone, the hard hit rate is low. When I throw it outside the strike zone, the swings and misses are through the roof. So you're starting to see him throw that pitch more. And when you hear pitches refer to it as sweeping, that's what people are going to catch on and say sweeping slider. Sweeping, like Ottavino has one of the filthiest sweeping sliders in the game. But um, when you look at that stuff, the best thing to do is you can go on Baseball Savant and so I love doing this. And you go through, and you can you can you can um, you can uh, filter out the pitches. And it, now it says sweeping slider. It's not always correct, by the way. The you know, baseball savant had Tommy Malone throwing a changeup at eighty six. That was his fastball. It's not always correct, but usually you can see the horizontal break on the pitch. And if you have one that um, you can throw it hard, uh, hard enough, and it has enough break on it, um, 
and enough, and there's all different things with spin and everything else. The sweeping slider can be a massive weapon. Now, some guys throw it and it gets crushed. You know, like I was telling, talking to Jeff Levering, I was trying to throw that cut fastball. I just couldn't do it. I just simply couldn't do it. I could, there's a lot of things I couldn't do, but that was one of them. But <clears throat> it's a nasty pitch, that big sweeping slider. We've got two guys in the bullpen. Penn Murphy has been really good as well, by the way, and um, Seawalt would both throw that pitch. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with your arm slot, how you profile and stuff. That When I say arm slot, the angle your arm, your release point is when you throw that, that pitch. All right, uh, Brett Tompkins. Um, this hyped, I've never been, Brett Tompkins, what's up, my man? How you doing? I've never been this hyped up about a pitcher. I think you're talking about Luis Castillo, I'm pretty sure. And you compared him to Felix Fernandez. Totally get it, my man. Totally get it. Felix played with him in his peak, his prime. We have got Luis Castillo literally in his prime right now. That easy, flowing arm slot. You talk about that low three-quarter arm slot. Filthy changeup, breaking ball. And the thing I love most about Luis Castillo, what gets me hyped up, is just that presence, dude. I want to go back to the playoffs last year against the Blue Jays. Man, I was nervous. <laughs> yeah, we got Luis Castillo. And just in that building, how loud it was, everything else, the Blue Jays had no chance. That's his biggest weapon, in my opinion. Yeah, I know he throws 100 up in the strike zone, and he throws another filthy sinking fastball that just runs like crazy. And he's got the changeup and the breaking ball. I've done many a breakdowns about Luis Castillo for the presence, the, the little when he's flexing or, or doing the fist bump, whatever it is, when he walks off and that slow walk on his time. That's Felix, Felix-esque to me. Big Felix Hernandez. Um, congratulations going to the Mariners Hall of Fame this year. But that's what I. That's how I compare him to Felix. Because that was Felix, dude. Felix would be on like in a low gear and then all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, sorry, I just bumped the camera. All of a sudden, he would just lead off double and he'd just take it to another gear, dude. It was insane. And they just had that slow walk off. Like, yeah, I just dominated. Like, no one's touching me. Good stuff. All right, guys. So that's it for Mariner Mondays. Uh, such a fun time. Shoot me messages if you've got anything you want to talk about. Coming off a great series. Big thanks to Jeff Levering for joining us. We're going to watch the Brewers tonight. They're going to be a tough matchup. It's going to be a fun one. And um, big thanks for all your questions. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you go subscribe to your mates. We're on YouTube. We're on Spotify, Apple. Uh, you can listen on Apple. Um, you can watch on um, Spotify or listen. Grant Balfour will be with me later on in the week. All right, mates, we will see you later. Go Mariners. Killing them, 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 killing them